0: Welcome to the Academy podcast, a podcast dedicated to sharing rich content for the purpose of spiritual growth. I'm your host, Claire McKeever Burgett, and I work with the Academy for Spiritual Formation, an international ministry of the Upper Room. The Academy creates transformative space online and in person for people to connect with God, self, others, and creation for the sake of the world. Today, we're joined by Cole Arthur Riley, who is a writer, speaker, and liturgist. She currently serves as the content and spiritual formation manager for a center for Christian studies at Cornell University called Chesterton House. In her role, she produces and curates written content for spiritual formation and leads care and spiritual support for staff and students. While working for an Episcopal church, she became enamored with both Anglican and Catholic liturgical traditions, finding beauty in written prayer, as well as the embodied experience of Eucharist and prayer services. Cole is the creator and writer of Black Liturgies, a project seeking to integrate the truths of Black dignity, lament, rage, justice and rest into written prayers. You can follow along with the project on Instagram using the handle at, that's the at sign, Black Liturgies, B-L-A-C-K-L-I-T-U-R-G-I-E-S. Though I spoke with Cole toward the end of October 2020, our conversation felt timeless as I listened to it for edits, of which I made very few, and prepared it to release in the second month of 2021. Broaching topics of spiritual practice, embodiment, expanding liturgy to speak to Blackness, limitations and concerns of social media, and so much more. Cole and I spoke as colleagues, companions, and friends in this liminal space of spirituality and justice, prayer and protest, worship and work. Grab a warm drink or bundle up for a walk and enjoy this conversation between Cole and me. May it illumine, May it challenge, may it comfort, may it invite all of us to be our truest, most beloved selves. Listen on, beloveds. Listen well, listen deep, listen wide. Well, Cole, welcome to the Academy podcast. We're so glad to have you here with us today and um, just, you know, glad to put a face with a name um, beyond what I know of you on social media and we'll We'll get to that in a minute, but I love to begin these conversations by asking, uh, what and who do you come from? Uh, what does it look like? What's the, the spiritual sort of geography and landscape of your faith? Um, mm-hmm. Maybe what colors, what smells? Sure.
1: Um, well, first, thanks for having me, um, and I love this beginning question. Um, I come from... Phyllis Marie Arthur, my grandmother and the strong and tender matriarch of my very loud and um, mischievous family, uh, which includes my father who raised me, um, my sister who has taught me what courage is, um, and I have a stepmom who has taught me what loyalty and perseverance are. Um, My family for the most part are not confessing Christians. I think some of them probably possess a form of spirituality, but it looks much different um, than my own. Um, so when I think about the geographical landscape of my faith, I think it's marked. It's it's marked by a great deal of doubt and skepticism. Um, it probably would smell like the pages of an old book (laughs) because I cling to stories and um, wisdom of the past whenever I encounter those doubts. Um, Yeah, and I'm trying to think of something tactile. Um, And I think it would feel like the skin of my grandmother because she's always held my hope and belief um, as I've watched her exist and create in a world that is hellbent on diminishing her existence and creativity. Yeah, yeah. so that's, that's me. <laughs> hmm. So where did you grow up? I grew up in Pittsburgh um, for the most part. I, I've also lived in LA for a few of my early years and then Florida, but um, from the age of around six and on, I was raised in Pittsburgh. All right.
0: So, kind of a you're in the Northeast right now, right? So, mm-hmm. so Northeast person, yeah, you consider yourself that.
1: <laughs> I do, I do, okay. it's almost like I, I know no other way really. Um, because I hardly remember Florida, a lot of my family now lives back in Florida. Um, so okay. I, I see them in visits, and um, but I identify with the Northeastern spirit, I'm not going to. Say hi to you in the grocery store. That's a fold of mine. (laughs) That's right. I understand that.
0: (laughs) I do. I was telling you, you know, saying before we kind of got started that I'm from Texas and um, I lived in Washington D.C. for a little bit, and uh, the people in Washington D.C. would always say, "Like you do not seem like you're from the South," and I would say, "Texas is not the South." It is its own thing. And they're like, you have a very similar vibe as those of us, you know, kind of Washington, DC and beyond. And um, I was like, okay, I'll take it, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever that vibe might be, but that's (laughs) beautiful. So I've shared some about you in the introduction, um, but I'd love for you to share something with us that we wouldn't find uh, on a website or on a page somewhere and maybe how this ties to your vocation Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, to
0: what and to whom are you continually being called? Hmm.
1: Yes. Well, something that you wouldn't find in another place. Hmm. Well, You might find this eventually, but you won't find it currently. I am deeply, deeply introverted. Um, I didn't quite understand how introverted I was until I married my husband, who I thought was one of us, um, a fellow introvert. (laughs) And I've learned um, that there are levels to this. And um, he might as well be an extrovert to me uh, Mm. because of how... um, how easily and uh, how easily he can be restored in spaces with people. Um, So I spend a lot of time alone and a lot of time in silence, um, not even listening to music or anything, um, which my friends tease me about. (laughs) (laughs) But it relates to calling in a way because I do think I have been called to a kind of silent stillness. Um, so I, I spend a good deal of time speaking with Cornell students about their vocation and my day job. And every time I do it, I realize how ill-equipped I am to do so because I think it's so, that calling is so difficult to comprehend. Um, for me, it's, it's very mysterious. Um, I think it transcends both gifting and passion and kind of reaches into the histories that have made us those that we know, and maybe those that we aren't even aware of um, as well as the community currently around us and its needs. Um, so for me personally, um, I'm being called, I think, toward an embodied emotional, intellectual and storied black woman existence. (laughs) So I'm being called to a liberation that's kind of located at the site of the integration of all of those things. Um, And I love the question called to whom? Um, I think called to myself, uh, my ancestors, and hopefully the face of God. Does the face of God look a particular way to you? Yeah, um, I don't think it looks a singular way. Um, and and that's, that's part of the beauty, but also what makes it so difficult to discern because I think, um, and hopefully the people listening will understand, I mean, the, the metaphoric face of God. Well, um, metaphoric, but eh, we won't go there. <laughs> but you know what I mean. We can mean. go there. The, yeah. The, the <laughs> symbolism and um, kind of what that that phrase possesses—the face of God—is is to me um, like a, a kind of a kind of multitude, a kind of multitude of 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 people, of stories, but also. Of emotions, of of thoughts and beliefs. This is getting very like vague and abstract. <laughs> <laughs> That's
0: it's perfect. I love it. Yeah. Um, is there a particular story uh, that was told to you, or that you heard, or reheard, um, that led you to this articulation of calling to self? And others in the face of God, um, the calling to embodiment? I'm just curious.
1: Mm. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I can't think of any one story I have been told that's kind of led me in toward this way of thinking about calling. Um, It was more maybe I've been told stories of vocation and calling that have not felt complete to me um, for one way or another. And so slowly I've tried my best to um, articulate like what would make it feel complete. Um, and I think even your question of like called to whom is something that makes it feel complete called to whom the answer the easy answer would just for me to say to God um but like to have to flush out a little more new nuance about that of yes to God but also to a deeper sense of self and to the people who have come before me um I feel like it will call, my understanding of calling will kind of always be in process um and becoming more whole if that makes sense yeah tell us more about your grandmother yes um my grandmother she uh is a writer she's still living um i haven't known many of my grandparents um actually just her and um my zadie who's my stepmom's father so um her relationship has always been pretty special to me um she's lived with me I mean my sister and I were just working this out of we probably lived with our grandma more than we didn't live with our grandma um, during our formative years um, my dad was a single teen dad um, and so early on kind of rested in the arms of my grandmother and we all lived together <laughs> and then mm. uh kind of like almost in cycles throughout life we found um each other like we found ourselves living with one another again um which has made me close to her and even when she lived in other places we would drive pretty much every weekend to um stay with her when she lived in New York and I lived in Pennsylvania um but it's only since I only in the past uh, five years or so that I've been really asking her a lot of questions about the stories that she has been holding close and kind of waiting to tell. Um, and in that time, I've realized so much uh, overlap and um, kind of mysterious bits of connection that that we have between mm. one another, not just in our writing, but in um, the things that we remember, um, the ways we think about ourselves. So
0: yeah thanks yeah i uh share a name with one of my grandmothers um her name is clara and i get to be claire and um there's been some beautiful synergy um across time and space and Mm uh with our connection as well so yeah
1: yes
0: always love talking about the grandmothers yeah
1: right Mm -hmm.
0: So I first came uh, to know about you through your Instagram account, Black Liturgies. Um, And I think uh, maybe that's how a lot of folks have first encountered your work, I'm guessing. Um, So I'd love for you to tell us about Black Liturgies. Uh, What is it? Um, How was it born? And what is the deep need that it is responding to?
1: Mm -hmm. Okay. so Black liturgies it's a, a project that I began at the end of June, early July, that is trying to integrate Black concepts of dignity, joy, lament, rage, hope, rest, liberation, um, with the historic practice of written prayer. Um, I began it in the wake of the murders of Ahmaud Arbery and George Floyd and the resurfacing of the murders of Elijah McLean and Breonna Taylor. Um, In a season where I found my soul kind of yearning for something that felt like the um, liturgies that I had access to weren't kind of capable of speaking to this yearning um they they didn't feel like they were capable or maybe that's a, a better way to put it is I I longed for a liturgy that like both spoke to my blackness but was also written out of a sense of blackness and so um I've written liturgies for work before but nothing um nothing quite like this and I thought maybe there are some other liturgy loving black souls out there who um, would benefit from kind of having all of these prayers in one place and um, have found that that is true and it's um, reaching more than those people um I'm I'm hoping that, Black liturgies would have some resurrecting power for those who have found more death than life in spiritual spaces. Um, And my hope is for it to be, I haven't found the best way to articulate this yet, but my hope is for it to be a place for Black words, but that those words would be held by all types of people and that in that kind of shared holding, there would maybe be some healing. Hmm. Yeah. So
0: talk to me about uh, your process of creating these liturgies. So, you know, I follow you. So for those who don't often, it's um, either an original piece that you've written or something from our sacred scripture text um, that then through prayer, through call and response, through kind of the art of the liturgical voice and the liturgical form. um, I experience it as you illuminating something new, resurrecting sort of um, a voice or a story from the story that has often been ignored. So, so what's your process? What does it look like um, as you create these?
1: Yes. Well, I write them each morning apart from, a few occasions where that just hasn't been possible because of scheduling things. But standardly, I write them in the morning. Um, We have silent mornings in our home, um, which is nice. So my husband leaves and I kind of stare at a wall or out of the window and um, think about what word of the initial kind of six or seven that I oriented the project around is resonating with me. Um, either because of a global event, um, a conversation I've had with someone the day prior, or um, something that I've encountered in scripture. And um, once I've done that, I then try to find a phrase, a poem, a quote, or a verse that will accompany the prayer. Um, The one day of the week where the process looks different are Sundays, um, because I tend to draw from the lectionary text. And so um, I start with that text and kind of running a sieve through it to find like who are the voices or where are the moments that might go kind of skimmed over um or yeah might might go skimmed over who who, might that might not be held well in white dominated spaces um and then once I have an awareness of that that line or phrase I'll write a liturgy around it um, and I try to keep it pretty raw. I think I think excellent writing has um, a place for sure, but I know for, for me and my story that it would be best if I didn't agonize too much over commas and grammar. So you'll notice um, that for sure. Um, I try to at least read it over once to make sure it's coherent and then plug it into a graphic form. Um, I think the most interesting part of the writing process probably happens after I post. Um, And this is something I haven't really shared much, but um, after I post, I try to come up with um, a breath prayer or like a phrase mantra from the prayer that I've posted. And that will be what I carry throughout my day to try as a way to try to stay connected to the people who are praying the prayer with me um, in whatever space they find themselves.
0: Yeah. Have you carried these into the the actual worship service at all and if so what does that look like
1: um I have once my reverend um so I I'm on uh, the prayer team that's not actually what we call it (laughs) but I am one of the people who um leads prayers on Sundays for the congregation that I'm a part of and my um priest reached out to me shortly after I started Black liturgies, well, really shortly after he realized that it existed and um, invited me to specifically share a Black liturgy during our Eucharist service, well, our morning prayer service, because we're still not meeting in person. Um, Mm. And I did, and it was a bit awkward, if I'm being honest, Mm. Um, because it how do I put this it um I think there's something about like the liturgy on Sunday which um I'm very used to like sharing in live time with other people and hearing everyone's voice kind of echo it or like shepherding people through prayers and having them echo um a statement of closure after each prayer um if you're familiar with liturgical settings you might be familiar with that like rhythm of prayers of the people but I wasn't quite I'm I'm less um practiced at like how sharing things that are so vulnerable and um taking people where I'm not sure they want to go and doing that with a boldness of um actually these prayers are still welcome in this space and um it doesn't Really matter if you're ready to hold them or not. I've been invited to um, do a holy job, and I'm going to to do it in the way that I think is right. Um, and I think it just required a different kind of confidence. I think <laughs> of mm-hmm. saying this is a black liturgy, and like it is going to be welcome in this historic, you know, kind of high church space. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I'm was it was good for me to to do that, but difficult. Yeah.
0: yeah. That's lovely. Um, so in the fact that you use Instagram as the platform um, and, and you may be on others as well, I'm most familiar with the Instagram, but um, I have this uh, personal dilemma, um, which I think a lot of people share with social media and screens and these, this day and age. Um, and then it has been for me and I think for all of us, you know, sort of compacted even more uh since COVID-19 um showed up is sort of we know, right, the research that being on a screen all the time and mm-hmm. constantly connected is is not good for us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mind, body, spirit. I mean, the, yes. that that is real, that is true, you know, that, um, and that it actually, you know, creates more anxiety
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, in so many ways. And yet, right, there's nuance and there's truth in the fact that there are, you know, accounts like yours um, that I follow, that many other people follow that are a prayer, a spiritual practice, a a balm. And so I just would love to hear from you. Like, how do you hold this tension as a, a creator of an account and as someone who um, is posting regularly. Um, and yeah, what is, what does it look like for you? What, how do you hold the
1: tension and and how do you reconcile with it? Mm-hmm. I'm glad you ask. I'm, I've been thinking so much about this. Um, truly it stresses me out. Um, I don't, I don't know if you've seen the documentary, the social dilemma on yeah. Netflix. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's horrifying. It's horrifying. Right. Um, and I'll say, even prior to watching that documentary, um, I have serious questions about if any human was ever meant to receive the affirmation or critique of thirty four thousand people at once. Um, I have serious questions about that, especially because of the speed um, at which I've gained followers. Um, yeah, I've been I've been very wary of how. I am being formed or deformed uh, in this season, and I don't have solid answers yet. Um, And I don't know for sure, but I have a sense that my story and personhood may very well not be compatible with the mass following. Um, I don't know for sure, but it's just a question that I'm having to contend with and examine as I'm trying to make decisions. and as I figure that out, make decisions to kind of protect myself. Um, so one very small and strange thing is I now have a dumb phone, um, which just means that it's not a smartphone. So I can use Wi-Fi to iMessage still, but it's kind of disabled so that it can't do internet searches. I can't download an app if I wanted to. Um, so the only apps I have are the weather and a calculator. Um, yeah. And, It's been a bit strange and even isolating um, for me, but I think confining certain things to my desktop will be a form of long term stability. I think, I hope. Um, But I do think um, that there's nuance and that social media has the capacity to be redeemed. I'm just not sure what it looks like. Um, so yeah. like, I'm trying to think of an example. Okay. I found that social media can be great support for a discipline of storytelling and story holding, um, especially for people who have been more isolated because of COVID, um, or for those of us who don't have a relational privilege, um, the relational privilege of having people in physical proximity to us who support and honor our full personhood. Um, so I do think of uh, for some queer people, for instance, social media or being able to connect across great distances has probably saved lives Hmm. and that's nothing to sneer at. Yeah.
0: Hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I find for me, um,
0: Really paying attention to what happens in my body
1: mm.
0: when I'm scrolling or reading a particular thing, and I just know that if I get like like if my chest gets tight or if I get kind of just that like ache in my belly
1: mm-hmm.
0: what that corresponds to me doing in my head is c- comparing
1: mm.
0: <laughs> like like, why isn't my life like this, or Oh, I, I mean, and all the shoulds that I can put on myself. And so it has become in many ways a beautiful practice for me to go, okay, my belly is aching. My chest mm-hmm. is tight. It's time to walk away. Yes. <laughs> um, regardless of how beautiful the post is or how mm-hmm. cute the kid is or yes. how profound, you know, the meme is. Right. Um. And so So that has helped for me Um, and I have been reluctant to delete it altogether Mm -hmm. primarily because of what you just said and offered Mm -hmm. there have been, and still continue to be um, beautiful ways of connecting uh, that feel um, subversive and powerful um, Mm -hmm. for those who have been you know, relegated to the margins, and you know, I I, I want to follow that work, yes. <laughs> um, and, and and support it and join it as I can. And so, so yeah, holding that um, has been been a part of my practice as well. So, thanks mm-hmm. for for sharing some of that. Sure. So, uh, tell us what it's been like for your mind, body, and spirit in this time of COVID Uh, and this global Mm -hmm. pandemic, as well as many of us white folk sort of awaken or reawaken to the evils of white supremacy. You mentioned um, the murders of Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor and George Floyd earlier. And Mm -hmm. of course, all of the uh, protests that have um, kind of continued. in the wake of their deaths. Uh, and I didn't realize that you just started your account in at the end of June. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that is a signal to something, but yeah. What, what is this? What has this been like?
1: Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I found myself in, a, a, I'm in a bit of tension um, even in describing it because in, in so I'll say I'm um, I'm privileged privileged enough financially that the pandemic hasn't strained my household and families um, my the household of my families too much and so I'm feeling a, a bit of shock and gratitude for that. Um, I am compromised. so I've been pretty much completely isolated from others apart from my husband with whom I live and um, about three interactions since March um, so wow. uh, thankfully as I said I'm incredibly introverted and have a safe home environment so it has been a time of healing and rest for me in many ways um, in kind of being forced to step away from people I've really learned what I need, um, and I've learned a lot about like the true depths of my introversion. And I I think I've been a better friend, a better, better wife, a better daughter, um, because I'm doing right by my body and mind. Um, and especially with the racial awakening that people are experiencing and the work of black liturgies, which is kind of thrusting me into conversations, um, a lot. Um, I've been calling myself to higher, higher standards of embodied care and rest, knowing that white supremacy steals as much from our bodies as it does our mental health. Um, so I've been trying to stretch and go for walks and doing what I can to stay deeply in my body in this time. And I've also been keeping black women very close because they Mm. know how to cry and also how to crack me up, um, like all in the same conversation, which I think is so sacred. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Are you near, uh, geographically to your sister?
1: Um, I live about six hours away from my sister, unfortunately. Um, but we've Mm. been facetiming nearly every day Mm. um which has been like pretty glorious in terms of reconnection and healing and um she just gave birth to a little girl um at the end of august and so i've only met her Mm. (laughs) um through facetime and things like that but um yeah, it's, it's been hard to be away from people um, for sure. But again, I am grateful that home for me is a bit of a harbor. Yeah. yeah, yeah. For nearly a year
0: now, we've been walking in a wilderness, a sometimes lonely, difficult and heartbreaking path. So many of us are stretched to the limit, barely able to keep up with the demands of life. And yet, like the Hebrew people wandering in the wilderness, we are not alone. We are community traveling through the desert together and the Holy One walks with us. Join us as we journey through the season of Lent together. Register today to participate in an online retreat featuring Academy worship leader and dear friend Beth Richardson and her newly released book, Walking in the Wilderness Seeking God During Lent. Visit urelearning.upperroom.org and use code ACADEMY in all caps to get 50% off the e-course. You can also find Beth's book at bookstore.upperroom.org. So the Academy holds that anti-racism is spiritual formation and spiritual formation is anti-racism that you cannot divorce the two Mm. and that the spiritual life is incomplete without the work of justice.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Um, and so to paraphrase Lilla Watson and MLK, you know, we're not free until everybody's free. Yes. And, um, so how in your view and experience do spirituality and justice connect Mm -hmm. and play and dance together? And maybe what is that view, that that picture of liberation?
1: Yeah, yeah, to me, all of spirituality, um or all of right, spirituality is a journey of liberation. And I think that's freedom from, you know, cosmic evils and freedom from the very specific and demonic system of systems. and personifications of injustice, um, and that maybe to move in spirituality is to contend with these forces and systems and hopefully choose the way of God, um, which is to bring justice and repair to what is rendered. Um, yeah. Repeat the second part of your question
0: yeah, just spirituality and justice, how do they connect? Yeah. Dance together. Um what does that space look like? And then and with that, you know, if you were p- to paint a picture or, mm-hmm. you know, a- of liberation, uh what would it look like?
1: Yeah. Hmm. I'm like very interested in this idea of painting a picture like an image, um, an image of, of liberation. Um, you know, I write a lot under, um, under this tree in my yard and um, this might be too abstract, but there's something about a tree that is like the full embodiment of stillness and like <laughs> contemplation. And yet wow. trees are actually pretty loud. Um, it's just a different kind of sound um, of like many leaves kind of moving at once and, and branches and creeks and things that feel imprecise and maybe mysterious. <laughs> um, and so in terms of an image or a picture, like, a visual picture. I'm gravitating to this, like, image of a tree, um, which incidentally is in a lot of Black liturgy stuff, but I haven't been thinking about that. (laughs) I'm gravitating toward this energy that is um, both stable and grounded, but also moving and embodied and not just, like, stillness for stillness's sake, if that makes sense. Mm. Um, I think that's a form of liberation. Mm. Uh, There's an independence, but a like interconnectedness interconnectedness, um, that I think is beautiful. I mean, I'm thinking about the first part of your question and like the relationship between spirituality and justice. And I said, like, for me, all of spirituality is like the journey of liberation. But I think what maybe makes it more nuanced is, a spirituality that, um, is able to understand that we are both wounded and doing wounding, that we are, um, both the hands of injustice and its victims, you know? Uh, Mm -hmm. and I think our work, our work in intersectionality and Christian discernment is to discern what spheres of identity have, have, um, have historically been the receivers of injustice and what spheres of ourselves and stories have been privileged enough to benefit from injustice uh and i think that that's kind of i think that's kind of the work of spirituality to say that like no one is one thing um that we are complex mm-hmm. and that it's a complexity worth engaging and even honoring yeah Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if that makes sense. No, it
0: does. I mean, the work you say of honoring, I mean, the work of blessing, right. Mm -hmm. And, um, I know that I've read, I mean, the work of blessing in black liturgies, um, and the ways that you're blessing, um, the stories and the ancestors and yourself and the act of doing it. Um, yeah, so you, know, you talk about a tree. Um, my next, this kind of goes beautifully into the next thing I'm wondering about is um, groundedness. So, mm-hmm. so who keeps you grounded, or what keeps you grounded, like the tree, rooted in the midst of pain and uncertainty and change?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and and how do you understand spiritual practice, and what practices? Help you remain connected to God.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think I'm grounded in practices around memory and remembrance. Um, to me, spiritual practice. I hope this isn't too reductive, but to me, spiritual practice is you know, the practice of finding the likeness of God in everything. Um, And I think this involves kind of sacred attunement to the present, but also um, faithful habits of holding memories and stories and images together. Um, And for me, that keeps me grounded. Someone asked me recently, you know, like, what gives you hope? And I said the kind of the true, but maybe cliche thing of, um, like the youth, me, I am a youth. So that's kind of funny for me to say anyways, but I said that kind of because I didn't know what to say. And it kind of haunted me after. Cause I'm like, you know, that's true and good, but I don't really think it's so true about me. I think what tends to give me more hope is actually the old and the past. Um, and again, both have value, but it just tends to be the case that I look back and think there are already people who have endured, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Hmm. yeah. Well, something we have in common is that we're both drawn to the Episcopal church. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, I, I, have um, roots. I grew up Baptist and I'm ordained clergy in the Alliance of Baptist Tradition, which is a progressive oh. uh, progressive group of Baptists. Um, but uh, in the past few years, uh, my family and I have made the transition to worshiping in an Episcopal church. And mm-hmm. um, so I'd love to hear about how you came to the Episcopal church, what drew you there and what keeps you there.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I um, after college, I did I I did a year long ministry fellowship at my alma mater, working with college students. But then from there, I moved to Philly and I worked for an Episcopal church um, in Philadelphia. And I don't know why I said Philadelphia. That's so formal. really <laughs> <laughs> never said that in my life. In Philly, um, but. Uh, So I was working for an Episcopal church before I fully even understood it. But um, even before that, I had been attracted to the beauty in Anglican liturgy. Um, But I think what's probably most true about what kept me there um, is I'm a person who's kind of riddled with questions and doubts and uncertainties and my soul just has a strong bend toward knowing as a form of security, um, which some of that is good. But what I was really needing in that particular season was a kind of spirituality that held more mystery than it did answers. And I think the Episcopal church holds that really well. Um, and the rites are also very embodied, which being a person who tends to confine herself to her mind, I really needed that as well. Um, at first, it was kind of annoying—the standing, the sitting, the kneeling, the standing, the sitting, yeah. the gestures. Um, and I'm like, can't we just sit, sit still for a sec? <laughs> Even the smells and the colors. Um, but slowly, I um, realized that those things carry so much meaning. Um, it's a very stimulating and embodied experience, but it's not—it's um, not without purpose and beauty. Um, uh, so now I invite people to services and I say, just come, it's a full on embodied and very strange production, but it's, it's good for the soul. <laughs> mm, yeah.
0: One of the first, um, sermons I heard when we were visiting this Episcopal church, um, they said, you know, when we share in communion in, in the Eucharist, um, we hear Jesus say, take and eat not take and understand Mm. and that that brought literally brought me to my knees uh, at the altar because I was in a season of trying to make sense of so much uh, that was happening to me and around me and um, it was just this beautiful invitation as you said into Mm -hmm. mystery and 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 took me right from the head just immediately into that deeper place of the heart where mm-hmm. I knew that I could eat and I didn't have to know exactly why.
1: <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. That's so good.
0: And such a beautiful gift. And and yeah, I'm with you with that. And, and part of um, we always kind of joke in the Academy that folks who, who come to the Academy sort of end up, we're sort of a, um, introduction to the Episcopal Church because so many of our participants <laughs> love, love the praying of the hours and, you know, the mm-hmm. rhythm of it and the, the Eucharist. We celebrate Eucharist together um,
1: mm-hmm.
0: every day when we're together in retreat. And um, so many of our participants end up, you know, going and, and being a part of the Episcopal Church in one way or the other. Uh, so it for me, it, it sort of made a lot of sense um, mm-hmm. Um, when our family found our way there, but yeah, the other interesting thing is, um, in the Baptist church, we always took communion.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and I, for me, I witnessed and experienced, um, receiving. Yes. And
1: yeah, that's church. good. A subtle, yeah, that, that's a subtle language difference for sure. And, and that felt also really
0: powerful and transformative for me, um, right? Just to even change, I'm using my hand right now, but even just to shift the posture of my hand um, mm-hmm. to sort of this openness. Um, it's just a, yeah, a really beautiful, beautiful space. So yeah. Yes. Anyway, I'm glad we, we share that. Yes. So um, do you call yourself a contemplative? And, um, you know, yes, no, we'll go from there. But if you do, um, or even if you don't, what does contemplative mean to you? Um, yeah.
1: Yes. I, I call myself a contemplative with caution. Um, mm-hmm. it is definitely the goal of it, It's, it's a goal of my formation right now, um, Yeah, I was talking with a friend and mentor like figure in my life recently um, about a current tension I'm feeling um, and that he put language to really well um, between like contemplation and activism and how they seem um, like at first glance, a bit imposed. a a bit in opposition to one another because each one kind of demands um, what the other one isn't at first glance again. So like, I think um, like contemplative requires uh, a slowness um, that just doesn't do well in activism sometimes. And Mm. activism requires an urgency that um, sometimes can being a contemplative doesn't foster well. Um, when he used the language of contemplative and an activist, I'm like, this is the tension I'm in um, as I try to curate the space of Black liturgies. He he, he actually said, um, if there is a person who is a both an activist and a contemplative, I have not yet I have not yet met them, and I was like, challenge accepted. <laughs> I want to do these two things well together and be able to articulate well, um, kind of how they interface with each other. Um, and so, yes, it's definitely a goal that I have. Um, and as I write, I've been writing about, um, contemplation as a form of freedom and liberation for, um, people of color and women and marginalized people groups in general. Um, because I think the contemplative tradition has a lot to offer us. Um, This might be too much of a rabbit hole, but it can be just for you and I. Um, But I've been thinking a lot about my particular ancestors who were enslaved and how the mind was like one thing that no one could take control Mm. over when they, did not have control and agency over their bodies. Um, they did have control over kind of their contemplation and their thoughts. And I and like I, I've just been holding that that closely as the sacred spiritual energy of um of yeah, going deep in thought and and deep in the safety of 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 good thought. Um again, I'm still working to put language to it, but. The short answer to your question is yes, I hope to be contemplative. yeah <laughs>
0: well, and and my my colleague here at the academy often reminds me that um the monastics actually began as sort of activist movements, in a sense that that they were mm-hmm. they remained a part of the institution, but we're on the margins. Yes. Holding the space, the steady space of this is the way of Jesus. This is the way of life. Mm-hmm. And that always helps me, right? When I'm sort of faced with the questions of, you know, what is being quiet, you know, help, right? Mm-hmm. Well, it actually helps me, like, you know, get connected here yeah. so that I actually know what I'm doing when I go out there, yes. you know, whatever there is, um, mm-hmm. and whatever space that looks like. And, um, so yeah, that, that always, you know, I, uh, Thomas Merton, you may know this story, but showed up at the Abbey of Gethsemane, um, and like for the very first time and said, I was wondering what was holding the world together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And now I know. And when I visited there for the first time and prayed the hours and I was like, oh, right. Like these, these people, these contemplatives, these saints and mystics um, are holding the space for me, like for my family, for my children, for, for the people that I say I love um, Mm -hmm. in a way that that just felt really powerful.
1: Um, Mm -hmm.
0: and that I feel like I can rely on, you know, like, yes. Like I feel like I can go, okay. Like it's not all on my shoulders, right? Like there's (laughs) this, this community, but yeah,
1: that's beautiful.
0: Yeah. Well, um, so on that note, I'm, I'm, I'd love to hear you tell us about who some of your teachers are. Um, Mm -hmm. like, who do you learn from? Who do you learn with? And what does that look like for you?
1: Yes. I f- I feel like I'm mostly learning from the dead at the moment. Yeah. Um so Julian of Norwich, James Baldwin, Toni Morrison, um contemplatives and mystics and storytellers, I think. Um living, I will say this, um I I like to learn from children. Um mm-hmm. I'm not particularly good with them, um, but I think I'm good at listening to them. And man, I just think they say, they, they tend to say like the simplest and truest things. Um, and you don't have to worry so much about them saying a thing because of how it makes them look or sound. Um,
0: Hmm. uh,
1: like even their lies are more honest than ours. Um, so I, I do, I, I love learning from children. Um, I, yeah, adult in living, um, I've been fortunate to have priests of high integrity and thoughtfulness. Um, and I deeply admire the founder of the study center um, that I work for, uh, which all of those people, I actually disagree with them on a number of things, on a lot of things probably, and they likewise probably disagree with me a good bit, but I value not so much what they think, but how they think. Mm-hmm. Um, and I trust, I trust them to to be people of integrity, um, which makes it easy to learn from them. Yeah. Yeah. Are you familiar with Mirabai Starr's,
0: uh translation of Julian of Norwich's showings? No. Okay. So I'll just send you the link <laughs> after this. <laughs> Please do. Um, but it, it, so it's sort of a Mirabai Star is a, um, I think rooted in Jewish spirituality, but okay. um, a spiritual teacher and writer and has been sort of a contemporary translation of Julian. Mm-hmm. Um, and my spiritual director just recently read this, portion of it to me and then sent it. And I, whew, it's just something I've, I've been holding and, oh. and returning to. So I'll, I'll share that with you um, yeah, we, when we're done. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what are you currently working on? I know you've talked some about black liturgies, but um, you know, maybe what else? Um, mm-hmm. And that could be in the, in this sort of professional landscape or elsewhere, you know, um, um, what, what are you creating right now? And, um, and then just tell us how we can follow
1: along and support you and your work. Sure. Well, it's fun to finally say this publicly, but I am currently working on a book. Yeah. Um, I have just signed a contract with convergent books of Penguin Random House and um, I'm really excited to um, to write and for the writing process and yeah. all of that. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, and I have a, a website now Um which is wild to say, uh, but if you are so inclined, you can visit blackliturgist.com and sign up to receive weekly breath prayers. Um, But I will be praying as well and occasional blog reflections or updates on the book.
0: Beautiful. And we have some show notes that we'll make sure everything is linked to. And I'm glad to know about your website. That's exciting. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) so do you have anything else that you would love for us to know or hear um before we kind of head into our closing or anything that you want to ask
1: of me or this space um no not that i can think of okay all right just grateful to have had uh this time with you and to get to know you a bit as well
0: yeah i was Talking to a dear friend of mine um, who's been on the podcast, uh, Reverend Lisa Yaboa last night and said I was going to be talking with you today. And she said that she was just, you know, covering us in prayer and a tiny bit jealous because she loves you so much and sometimes, sometimes slides into your DMs. (laughs) 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 of course i'll uh, we may edit this part out but i'll make sure if i have permission to share that but um if you don't know lisa um she's just a embodied um joy and beauty and resilience and um leads leads a beautiful congregation in raleigh um called southeast table and uh anyway so it was just fun um as we were talking last night to to connect and, um, just so, you know, a little bit fan, fangirling just a little bit. So (laughs)
1: wow,
0: very kind. And I'm sure as an introvert, you're just like, Oh my gosh, (laughs) I'm also an introvert. Um, I understand just the deep need to recharge in, Mm -hmm. in quiet. And, um, just, and, and so I'm just deeply grateful that, that you gave us some of your time today. And, um, shared some of your heart and spirit with us so thank you so much thank you do you have maybe um a closing prayer or blessing that you would um end us with
1: sure um i i'd love to read this very brief poem as a form of benediction i wrote it a few months ago but recently Reposted posted it with a new prayer a few days ago. Um, and it's just staying with me. Climb back inside your body. No more split selves, minds without skulls. Don't let them slice you apart. Flail and shake like a haunting. You are alive. Thanks for having me. Amen.
0: Thank you. So good to see you. Thanks for listening along with us today. For more information on how you can begin and continue the work of anti-racism, visit the Academy resources page at academy.upperroom.org backslash resources. And don't forget to check out our new one-year online Academy offering, Spiritual Formation in Today's World, by visiting the online retreat schedule on our website. We'd love to welcome you into this new endeavor of spiritual formation online together. The work of love and justice begs of us to stand our sacred ground, to open ourselves to change, and to deeply trust in the God who marches, dances, listens, learns, sings, and writes along with us. Thanks for being a part of this life-changing work. We're grateful you're here, and we hope you'll stay with us for the long haul. To hear more from faculty and wisdom guides in the area of spiritual formation, and to learn more about our ongoing Academy offerings, visit us online at org.